If you'd like to turn with me to a different book today, the Lord spoke to my heart and said, read from this today. Galatians chapter 1 and verse 6. You know, we are so blessed to have the Bible in various English translations. And those of you who are listening on the podcast, we are so blessed to have the Bible in your native language also. And this is what it says here. Rav Shul, the Apostle Paul, is, has written this letter. And think about this. When they received this letter, they were excited in this Galatian Messianic community because they got a letter from the one who actually was there to give birth to their congregation, their spiritual father. And this is what he says. I'm astounded that you are so quick to remove yourselves from me. The one who called you by Messiah's grace. And in turn, some other supposedly good news, which is not good news at all. What is really happening is that a certain people are pestering you and trying to pervert the genuine good news of the Messiah. But even if we, or for that matter, an angel from heaven, were to announce you some so-called good news, contrary to what the good news that we did announce to you, let him be under a curse forever. For we said it before, and I will say it again, if anyone announces good news contrary to what you've received, let he be under a curse forever. So think about that. Every man or woman who proclaims the good news to people, if it does not line up what is already written by the holy prophets in the Tanakh, the Old Testament, and the holy apostles in the Brit Hadashah, the New Testament, if it does not align with that and give what they taught, then that is not from God. You can't get any clearer than that. That is why it's so important for us to know and to read daily God's word. There's been warnings going out right now on historical literature that's not the Bible and also biblical historical books and also the Bible. There are publishing companies that are changing words and their meanings. There's now a call out to everyone who has a Bible. It's great to have them electronically, but things can be adjusted. And so they're encouraging people, you need to own historical books pertaining to the Bible, maps and charts, and also have literal Bibles, as, as many translations in the language that you know. And when you get those various translations, you should compare them to see if it lines up with what the good news is. See, because we're in very, very deceptive times, are we not? What is happening today? Definitions of what a man and what a woman is, someone who is biologically born as a male or a female, can one day, any time in your lifetime, decide, well, I am the opposite. I would say to you, you are what God 
biologically created you in your mother's womb and how you came out of the gentilia of a male or female, that is who you are. He's your creator. He is your God, even though you may not know him as such. And so we're coming under a lot of deception and delusionment. And it's just going around the whole wide world at this time. And so we're to be the people of the book. And those of you who been, been, uh, has been transferred into the commonwealth of Israel, I'm giving this word strongly to you also. You need to know God's word and know it by heart. Because there will come a day when they take these literal books from us. And what does the scripture say about the psalmist said? I've hidden God's, in my, God's word in my heart so that I would not sin against him. You know, it's beautiful. We have the Ruach, the spirit of living God, to bring everything back to our memory. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now let's get to the message. Today's message is entitled, Rav Shaul's Ministry in Thessalonica. And so today we'll be starting in chapter 2. But I'm going to do a brief overview of 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians. Why? Because we don't know the day and the hour that the Lord's going to come. And we need to be prepared. See, Rav Shaul received this revelation from God to these people in Thessalonica, both Jews and Gentiles, one in Messiah. There are many teachers that have come later that have tried to interpret these words in a different way. And I say this to you. What I read before out of Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. If you change one word, one meaning of God's holy word, you are cursed. Are we not also given that warning in the book of Revelation? Anyone who adds or takes away from that book? Some have said that that's all the prior books there too. But it speaks directly about the book of Revelation. So let us begin here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And we're going to start at verse number 10. And we'll go right into chapter 2. You know what's amazing? There were no chapters and verses in Bibles until the 1600s. Think about that. See, chapters and verses, the numbering system, the systematic system, is not necessarily anointed. And so, as we read through these chapters, and I, for us to find where we are, because otherwise we'd be lost at times, I mention the chapter in the verse. Okay? So, here we are in chapter 1, verse 10. And to wait for his son Yeshua, whom he raised from the dead to appear from heaven and rescue us from the impending fury, God's wrath, his judgment. Now on to chapter number two, verse one. You, 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 know, you know yourselves, brothers, that our visit with you was not fruitless. On the contrary, although we had already suffered and have been outraged in Philippi, as you know, we had the courage, united with our God, to tell you the good news, even under great pressure. For the appeal 
we make does not flow from error or from impure motives. Neither do we try to trick people. Instead, since God has tested us and found us fit to be entrusted with the good news, this is how we speak. Not to win favor with people, but with God who tests our hearts. For as you know, neither did we employ flattery talk, nor did we put a false front to mass greed. God is our witness. Nor did we seek human praise, either from you or from others. As emissaries, apostles, sent ones of Messiah Yeshua, we could have made our weight felt, but instead, we were gentle when we were with you, like a mother feeding and caring for her children. We were so devoted to you that we were glad to share with you not only God's good news, but also our own lives because, we had be because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our toil and our hardships, how we work both night and day and, to, and not to put burden on any of you while we were proclaiming the good news to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless our behavior was in the sight of you believers. For you know that we treated each one of you the way a father treats his children. We encourage you, we comfort you, and we appeal to you to lead lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and his glory. Another reason we regularly thank God is that when you heard the word of the Lord, word of God from us, you received it, not merely as a human word, but it is as truly is God's word, which is at work in you believers. For brothers, you came to be imitators of God's congregations in Judah and are united with Messiah Yeshua. You suffered the same things from your countrymen as they did from the, the, some of the Judeans who both killed the Lord Yeshua and the prophets and chased us out too. They are displeasing God and opposing all mankind by trying to keep us from speaking to you Gentiles so that, they, so that they may be delivered. Their object seems to be always to make their sins as bad as possible. But God's fury, his wrath, will catch up with them in the end. And as for us, brothers, when we were deprived of your company for a short time in person, but not in thought, we missed you and we tried hard to come to see you. We wanted so much to come to you. I, Shaul, Paul, tried more than once, but the adversary, and who's the adversary? Hasatan himself the devil, stopped us. For when our Lord Yeshua returns, what will be our hope and our joy, our crown to boast about? Won't it be you? Yes, you are our glory and our joy. And so now we're going to go through a summary of 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians as we go deeper. And so what does 1 and 2 Thessalonians say? 
it says this, we're, that we're never without a hope. Rav Shaul's time in Thessalonica was cut short by a fast-rising tide of persecution. Knowing the difficulties facing those fledgling Messianic believers, Shaul increasingly concerned about the fate of the Messianic believers, he sent Timothy to check on them. And where do we find this? But in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 1. So when you could no longer stand it, we agreed to be left in Athens alone and sent Timothy, our brother, and God's fellow worker for the good news of the Messiah to make you solid and encourage you in your trust so that none of you would let these persecutions unsettle him. For you yourselves know that these are bound to come to, come to us even when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we were about to be persecuted. And indeed, it has happened, as you know. That is the reason why, after I could stand it no longer, I sent to you to find out about your trust. I was afraid that somehow the tempter, who's the tempter but the adversary Hasatan, had tempted you and our hard work had been wasted. And so with this, Timothy brought back a positive report that the Thessalonian Messianic congregation, in spite of all its suffering, was continuing to trust in, and walk in love. Continue in verse number six of 1 Thessalonians chapter three. But now Tim Timothy has come from us, bringing good news about your trust and love and telling us that you remember us as well and are always longing to see us, just as we long to see you. So we hear there's a love relationship here. Because here, Rav Shul, the Apostle Paul, is raising up both Timothy and Silas as future elders. He's allowing them to experience these things. So continuing here. But Timothy also brought back with him the heartfelt concerns and questions from the believers in Thessalonica. And what were these questions? Has Yeshua already returned? And how will we know? Will, will it be in our lifetime? And what if we die before he, Yeshua, comes back? These were all questions that they had. And what about our relatives who have died already die believing and trusting in Yeshua. Do they have the same hope? Will they see, will we ever see them yet again? So Shaul obviously had spoken of Yeshua's coming with the Thessalonians in his first per person visit, since they raised further questions after Shaul's departure. The two letters to the Thessalonians written perhaps only six months apart from each other are known in as his, Rav Shaul's, eschatological end-time letters, covering the subject in a far greater detail here than any of his other letters. The sequence, the timing, and what is going to take place. Shaul gave much-needed answers to these young believers and also provided what is even more important, how the return of Yeshua is what? A hope and an encouragement to those who long for Yeshua's appearing. 
For us, his bride, both Jews and Gentiles, one in Messiah. So, First and Second Thessalonians, what it means. What is the main theme? Yeshua is coming. Shaul's first letter to the Thessalonian Messianic congregation focuses, these, focuses now on these important themes. Number one, the perseverance in trials and tests. We dealt with that in chapter one. Every chapter of 1 Thessalonians ends with a reference to the second coming of Yeshua. Probably to counter not only the reader's concern, but also the temptation to despair in the face of suffering. And what are people doing right now? I hear voices from the, from the Christian community, the Messianic community. I hear these voices are saying, Lord, just take me home. I'm tired. This is not the world that I, I was raised up in. Things are changing, but we have a hope in the midst of suffering. Shaul is now obviously integrating the expected trials and tests associated with following Yeshua to the hope of Yeshua's appearing. Remember, we are to look up for our redemption comes from the Lord. The hope of Yeshua's appearing, his bride and his congregation. Let's look now quickly at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 8. And this is what it says there. For the Lord's message sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Acacia, but everywhere your trust toward God has become known. The result is that we don't need to say anything to you. See, the manifestation, the transformation of the spirit living God, the working out of that sanctification process began when they received Yeshua and they became born again. That's an ongoing process that we all go and receive. So continuing there through verses 9 and 10 of 1 Thessalonians. Since they themselves keep telling us about the welcome we received from you and how you turned from God to God from idols to serve the one true God, the one who is alive, and to wait for his son, Yeshua, whom he raised from the dead to appear from heaven and rescue us from the impending fury of God's judgment, his wrath. So now going forward, let's now go next door. This is uh, chapter 2, and we'll read verse 19, which declares to us this. For when our Lord Yeshua returns, what will be our hope our joy and our crown to boast about. Won't it be you? Yes, you are glory and our joy. Now going uh, here quickly next door to chapter 3 and verse 13. It continues to say this. So that he may give you an inner strength to be blameless by reason of your holiness. When you stand before God our Father at the coming of our Lord Yeshua, with all his angels. Continuing in verse uh, chapter 4 and at verse 13 through 18. Now, brothers, we, we want you to know the truth about those who've died. Otherwise, you might become sad the way other people do who have nothing to hope for. For since we believe that Yeshua died and rose from the, get, the dead, we also believe that in the same way God through Yeshua will take with him those who have died. 
When we say this, we base it on the Lord's own word. Notice that. He's saying this, look to the things that Yeshua has spoken on. His promises are yes and amen. Continuing. We who remain alive when the Lord comes will certainly not take precedence over those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a rousing cry, the call from one of the ruling angels with God shofar. Those who died united with Messiah will be first to rise and then we who are left still alive will be caught up with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we will always be with the Lord. So encourage one another with these words. And that's not it. Let's go to chapter 5. Let's look at verses 23 and 24. And this is what they declare. May the God of Shalom make you completely holy. May your, enti may your entire spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless for the coming of our Lord Yeshua the Messiah. The one calling you is faithful and he will do it. Next part of the theme is that the dead sleeping in Yeshua. In details not found anywhere in the New Testament, Shaul now outlines the events of the Harpazo rapture, being caught away, snatching away violently of his bride, the Messianic community, congregation of both Jews and Gentiles, one Messiah in Yeshua. All believers who have died in Yeshua or who are alive when Yeshua appears will be gathered to him as a single event in the unfolding of the earth's final days. We just read this scripture there. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. And so what are we supposed to be doing now until that day comes? We are to be living while waiting and watching. Shaul was concerned now about the holiness of the Messianic congregation in two realms as they lived in the light of Yeshua's return. And what were those two areas? Personal purity and personal responsibility. See, we were responsible for our thoughts and our actions. We're to take every thought captive. And before we do something or say something, we're to bring it before the spirit of the living God going forward. So personal purity and personal responsibility, warning believers against using any delay in Yeshua's coming as license for, for immorality. And where do we see that? First Thessalonians chapter four, verses three through eight. And this is what it declares there. What God wants is that you be holy that you keep away from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to manage his sexual impulses in a holy and honorable manner without giving in to lustful desires like the pagans who don't know God. No one should wrong his brother in this matter or take advantage of him because the Lord punishes all those who do such things as we have explained to you before at length. For God did not call us to live a unclean life, but a holy one. Therefore, whoever rejects this teaching is rejecting not a man, but God. Indeed, the one who gives you the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, which is his. 
It can't be any more clear than that. So Shaul urged them to live up to every responsibility in their families and in their community. In doing so, they would win the respect of outsiders and not give, give their critics, critics cause to persecute them even further. And where do we see this? First Thessalonians chapter 4, continuing in verse number 9. Concerning love for the brothers, we do not need to write you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to what? To love each other. And you do love all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do it even more. Also make it your ambition to live quietly, to mind your own business, and to earn your living by your own efforts, just as we told you. Then your daily life will gain respect of outsiders, and you will not be dependent on anyone. So now, Shaul is giving more and more instruction. And finally, number four of the theme, the wrath of God. Shaul assured the believers that the judgment of God was reserved for those who rejected the good news and not for them. We already read 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10. Now let us look at uh, 1 Thessalonians 2.16, what it declares here to us. It says this, by keep trying, keep trying, by trying to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so they may be delivered. Your object seems to be always to make their sins as bad as possible. But God's fury, his wrath will catch up with them in the end. And then continue on uh, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verses uh, 3. When people are saying everything is so peaceful and secure, then sudden destruction will suddenly come upon them. The way labor pains come upon a pregnant woman. Did you notice it did not say a pregnant man? Men cannot get pregnant. Only women can. Continuing. And there is no way they will escape. But you brothers are not in the dark. So that the day should take you by surprise like a thief. For you are all people who belong to the light and, and who belong to the day. We don't belong to the night or to darkness. So let us not, not be asleep. Let us, like the rest are, on the contrary, let us stay alert and sober. People who sleep, sleep at night. And people who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us stay sober, putting on trust and love as a breastplate and, and the hope of being delivered as a helmet. For God has not intended that we should experience his fury, but that we should gain deliverance, that's rescue, through our Lord Yeshua the Messiah, who died on our behalf so that whether we live, we are alive or dead, we, we, we may live long with him. Therefore, encourage each other and build each other up, just now as you're doing. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who are working hard among them, among you, those who are guiding you in the Lord and confronting you in order to keep you in charge. And so with that, we see that there's further 
more instruction. And the last point here is the authenticity and integrity. We're to walk in that. Because Shaul had been removed from them in an untimely way, Shaul assured the Thessalonians that his absence did not single single a lack of commitment to them or any falsehood of his ministry or message. And we already covered those verses there, but I'll, I'll say them out. First Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 and 5. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And you can read them on your, at your own leisure. Now, looking for the strongest metaphor that he could find, Shaul now compared himself both to a nursing mother, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7, and also as an attentive father, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 11, 12, in his concern for their welfare. Next, what it means for you personally. How do I apply this to my life? We are to live in the light of Yeshua's return for us as his bride. So two things are guaranteed for us here. That our difficulty will come in this life and that Yeshua is coming back to gather up his bride. He's come to get his people who live for him and will live with him forever. Though no one can predict when Yeshua will return, the Lord's coming is at hand. His return is imminent. It can happen any moment. As Shaul stated, our salvation is nearer now than we when we first believed. The night is nearly over and the day is almost here. And where is that a quote from? Romans chapter 13, verses 11 and 12. Going forward, since we do not know the precise moment, it could be any moment. As those who belong to Yeshua, we live in that now and is not yet place that believers throughout history have also lived who were simultaneously longing for Yeshua's appearing and desiring it and still seek to live carefully in this present world. May our lives reflect that truth in the face of difficulty and death, even our day-to-day duties until Yeshua comes. And so now as we go forward, in the days of Rav Shaul, the city of Thessalonica was the largest city of Macedonia and boasting a population of nearly 200,000 people in, in this great city of the ancient world. The majority of its inhabitants were Greek descent. Although there was a mixture of ethnic groups, including Jews, Shaul's letters to the Messianic congregation at Thessalonica are accepted as authentic by all Brit Hadashah New Testament scholars, Bible scholars. The book was quoted by early congregational fathers who were elders, and their names are Irenaeus, Clement of Alexandria, Tertullian, and Polycarp, and also Ephraim the Syrian. The first letter of 1 Thessalonians is divided into three major themes or parts. In the first part or theme, it says this. Shaul reiterates his relationship with the Thessalonian Messianic believers and gives thanks to God for them and outlines the evidence that the Messianic believers were truly born again or saved in contrast to what the Judaizers 
we're saying about them. In 1 Thessalonians 9 and 10, it says this, Since they themselves keep telling us about the welcome we received from you and how you turn from the God, turn to God from idols to serve the true God, the one who is alive, and to wait for his son whom he raised from the dead to appear from heaven and rescue us from the impending fury, God's wrath and judgment. The second part of the second theme of that only is this. Shaul defends his credentials as an apostle, a shalakim in Hebrew, and the legitimacy of the Messianic believer's transformation and Shaul's urgent desire to see them again. 1 Thessalonians 2, 1. You yourselves, brothers, know that our visit to you was not fruitless. On the contrary, although we already suffered and been outraged in Philippi, as you know, we had the courage united with God to tell you the good news, even under great pressure. And 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 17 through 20 states this. As for us, brothers, we were deprived of your company for a short time in person, but not in thought. We missed you and tried hard to come and see you. We wanted so much to come to you that I, Shaul, tried more than once, but the adversary stopped us. For when our Lord Yeshua returns, what will be our hope and joy, our crown, to boast about? Won't it be you? Yes, you are the glory and our joy. A third major theme or part is the letter is that the imminent, any moment return of Yeshua for his bride, his congregation, both Jews and Gentiles, one in Messiah. This is a source of endless fascination to me personally. Reading the various arguments of the aggressive attack and the refutation of the opinions of beliefs of another. Arguing against the harpazo being caught up or the rapture. You know, there's a major portion of those who call themselves Christians today don't even believe in the rapture or that the Lord's even coming back to set up his earthly kingdom. So continuing. The rapture, they argue this by the rapture on the grounds that it was simply a 19th century invention of John Nelson Darby or Margaret McDonald or C.I. Schofield. That's their argument. It's just something new. There are many biblical scholars who have long since proved that the Harpazo caught up rapture doctrine was taught by the early, in the early church congregation as far back as 374 AD. When an ancient text authored by Ephraim, the Syrian, a prominent Byzantine theologian, wrote these on these subjects. He wrote on the last times, the Antichrist, and the end of the world. And this is what Ephraim wrote. For all saints elect of God are gathered prior to the tribulation that is to come and are taken to the Lord, lest they see the confusion that is to overwhelm the world because of its sins. So that's the end of what he wrote. So now to discredit it by, by the opponents of the pre-tribulation rapture, 
harpazo being caught up. Rapture by denying Ephraim's authenticity, having called this ancient text now a Sado Ephraim. In other words, the argument states this, that Ephraim did not write it. Someone else did. But is that even an, a relevant argument to what the scripture has revealed through the Apostle Paul? So denying Ephraim's authorship is meaningless to the issue at hand, which is whether the Harpazo caught up rapture has been taught prior to the 1800s. Personally, I understand now how there could be controversy, whether Sado, Ephraim, or Darby, Schofield, or McDonald. They are largely irreverent. Since the Apostle Paul taught about the imminent, any moment Harpazo caught up, the rapture in his first letters to the Thessalonians. The controversy is about whether or not some sub subsequent interpreter, someone who came later, confirmed what God had told Rav Shaul. Actually does not seem to matter. Why? Because men who, and women have come afterwards and they comment on the Bible. What is the litmus test? Is it not the word of God? Absolutely. So continuing here. The controversy continues. But Rav Shaul not only allowed the, outlined the harpazo being caught up the rapture in detail, he fully expected to witness it himself. How do we know this? In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 15 through 17, it says this. When we say this, we, we base it on the Lord's own word. So whose word are you going to stand upon? The Lord's own world, word and an apostle? Or the commentary of those who come afterwards? We who remain alive when the Lord comes will certainly not take precedence over those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a rousing cry, with a call from one of the ruling angels with God so far, and those who died with Messiah will be first. Then we who are left still alive will be caught up, harpazo rapture, with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we will always be with the Lord. So continuing. But the verses about the caught up harpazo rapture actually don't complete the third part theme of Rav Shaul's letter to the Thessalonians of Messianic believers. Shaul addresses now the questions concerning his credentials. Why? Because they said that he was a false apostle. There was a letter sent that was supposedly signed that the Thessalonians had missed the day of the Lord. And this is what he's addressing. So Shaul addresses questions concerning his credentials as an apostle. And he confirms the Thessalonians that you are truly born again and saved. And reveals the details of the caught up Harpazo rapture. The Thessalonian Messianic believers, like many today in the body of believers, his Yeshua's congregation today miss the first point of Shaul's first letter. The point was this, that Yeshua's return should be a a source of what great comfort and not a source of contention. First Thessalonians 
5, 9 through 11 says this, for the God has not intended that we should experience his wrath, his fury, but that we should gain deliverance that is rescue through our Lord Yeshua, the Messiah, who died on our behalf so that whether we're alive or dead, we may live long with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as you're doing. So, continuing, the message is clear as it can possibly be. As clear as this message is, some have trouble understanding it, even today. Shaul says that the Lord will appear in the air and the dead Messiah will rise and those living will rise right after and we will spend eternity with our Lord Yeshua. Shaul's purpose of this revelation was to do what? To bring comfort to the Messianic believers facing what? Hard times. What completes the theme is Shaul's exhortation at the end. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 18. So comfort one another with these words. So now let us wrap this up with the assessment. Shaul's letter to 2 Thessalonians had but one primary purpose. A specifically outlined in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. It was to correct doctrinal errors, false teachings, that apparently a forged letter from Shaul had been created about the day of the Lord. And what is the day of the Lord? The tribulation. His wrath being poured out on all the inhabitants of the earth that it already had started. The Thessalonian Messianic believers feared the day of the Lord had come and they had been left behind. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 says this, But in connection with the coming appearing of our Lord Yeshua the Messiah and our gathering together to meet him, we ask you, brothers, not only to be easily shaken in what you're thinking or anxious because of a spirit, a spoken message, or a letter supposedly coming from us claiming that the day of the Lord, the great tribulation, has already begun. The phrase, our gathering together, is translated from the Greek word, and I'll spell it out to you first, E-P-S-U-N-N-G-O-G. Epi-su-na-gogi, which means complete collection. Does not the shepherd know his sheep? When they hear his voice, do they not come? Absolutely. This is, means a complete co collection, especially of Messianic believers. It speaks to a meeting, an assembling, a gathering together. It is used but one other time in the Brit Hadashah, the New Testament. Where is that found? Messianic Jews, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25. But to get us in the context, let's begin Messianic Jews, Hebrews, chapter 10, verse 23. Let us continue holding fast to the hope we acknowledge without what? Without wavering. For the one who made the promise is trustworthy. And who is that? Our Messiah Yeshua. And let us keep paying attention to one another in order to do what? Spurn one another in love and good deeds. Not neglecting the gathering together. 
the assembling of ourselves as our congregational meetings, as some have made the practice in doing, but rather encouraging one, one another, and let us do this all the more as we see the day approaching. That's not speaking of Sunday. That's speaking about the day of the Lord coming, the tribulation coming. Because who was Messianic Jews Hebrews written to? But the Jewish people, do they worship God on the first day of the week? No, the last day of the week. Shabbat, sundown Friday evening to sundown Saturday evening. Continuing here. Do not forsake the gathering of yourselves, but rather encouraging one another. And let us do this all the more as we see the day approaching. So the assembling of ourselves is that Greek word. The Lord gathering us together. And what do we do every Shabbat? We worship the Lord God our King. And those of you who cannot join us in person online, this is a provision that the Lord is, has allowed us to have. None other time in the history have we had this opportunity. But for such a time as this. So continuing here. As we go on, let us ask some questions now from the text. First question, what is Shaul desiring these Thessalonians to do? Answer, that they are not to be shaken by letter that said that they have been left behind. The second primary theme of 2 Thessalonians continues, is therefore the coming of the Lord Yeshua and our gathering together or the collecting of us to Yeshua. Shaul begins by offering two reasons why the Thessalonian Messianic believers should not be afraid that they have been left behind. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3 says this, Do not let anyone deceive you in any way. And it goes on to say this, For the day, that day, the Lord of Yeshua will not come after the apostasia, apostasy, the falling away is. And what is the falling away? It is this, rejecting the truth that you once believed. Continuing, it's an act of rebellion. Rebelling against what the holy prophets of old in the Tanakh said and the holy apostles of the Brit Hadashah declared to us has come, and that the man who separates himself from Torah has been revealed. Who's that man? The man of sin, the man of lawlessness, lawlessness, the son of perdition, just like Judas. When Judas was there during Pesach, and he turned to the Lord, and the Lord said prior, someone is here to betray me, and he said, he's the one that, that dips in the sop, in the King James, with me, and then the bowl was passed. He dipped in there. And then Yeshua turned to him and said, go and do what you must do. It says that as he got up and he left, Hasatan came within him, the son of perdition. This same thing is going to happen in the future when the Antichrist is revealed. He shall be possessed by Hasatan. Satan himself. Continuing here. The one destined for doom. Now continuing. 
So what is the first reason why the Thessalonian Messianic believers should know that they have not missed the event, being caught up Harpazo rapture? Shahul has described it in this letter. Because the day of the Lord will not come until first comes the falling away, the apostasia, the rejecting of what once they believed. Now, is that speaking about the world? No, that's speaking about the Messianic community. They're the ones to reject what God has said through his holy prophets and apostles. Continuing here. Translation, a falling away, should be re rendered better the falling away, namely the specific falling away, which shall will warn them of. When I was yet with you, and how do we know that? That's exactly what he said to him. Second Thessalonians chapter two, verse five. Don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things? She's calling to their memory what the Spirit had implanted in their hearts before is yes and amen. So continuing, the following away is the great apostasia, which means defection from the truth. The second reason why the Thessalonian believers should not be afraid is that they have been left behind was because the man of sin, the son of perdition, had not been revealed yet. The man of sin is, of course, the Antichrist, the Anti-Messiah. You know, the people that lived during World War II, they thought, who was the Antichrist? Adolf Hitler. But he was not. You know, when Bill Clinton came to office, I had some believers say to me, do you think Bill Clinton's the Antichrist? I said, no, he can't be. Why not? Because we're to be taken out before he's revealed. How about Barack Obama? The same. How about Donald Trump? The same. Rabbi, you just went against both the Republican and Democratic Party. That's right, because my king of kings and lord of lords, he's not a Democrat, he's not an independent, and he's not a Republican. He's God himself. So continuing here. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The second reason why the Thessalonian Messianic believers should not be afraid that they have been left behind is because the man of sin, the son of perdition, has not been revealed. The man of sin is, of course, the Antichrist, the Antimessiah. The man of sin can't be revealed until after the great apostasia because it is through the apostasia that the man of sin is now being revealed. Without the apostasia, the Antichrist couldn't get a foothold because the population would not be prepared to buy what he's selling. But what does this passage teach us? The caught up the harpazo rapture couldn't have happened because the Antichrist has not been revealed. So what does this mean? It has to mean this, that the caught up harpazo rapture comes first, then later the Antichrist is revealed. And so I've heard many clever and imaginative explanations of why these verses don't mean what they say. See, Rob Shaul was, was confused. He was an old man, and he just lost what the Spirit of the living God truly told him to do. 
Are you willing to buy that? I'm not. So continue here. They claim that these verses don't mean what they say they mean. But none of them ever actually take on these verses themselves. You know what they do? They go around. They bring in another argument. They just go to find other verses elsewhere that seem contradictory. But I've heard, I haven't heard anyone adequately dispute these two simple points that, I, that I'm presenting to you which is why probably the reason why Rav Shoal raised them. Why? Because he was not thinking of his own great intellect, which he did. Very, very brilliant man. But he was moved and guided by the Ruach HaKodesh, who is God, who speaks and leads in all truth. Continuing here. They just go out and find these verses elsewhere that are seem con contradictory. But I've never heard anyone adequately dispute these two simple points, which is why pro probably the reason Rav Shaul raised them. Rabbi, you just said that before. It needs to be repeated. One can come up with verses that seemingly put Yeshua's bride, his congregation, in the tribulation, or verses that seemingly dispute the meaning of the wrath of God, and verses that question who the restrainer is, or dispute the meaning of the day of Messiah, and so on. But Shaul says there are these two things that must come after our gathering together to him. The great apostasia and the revelation of the son of perdition, the Antichrist. So if the Thessalonians don't perceive that the great apostasy has begun, followed by the revealing of the Antichrist, then it means that they didn't miss the being caught up harpots of rapture. And so let's just flip that around. Let's look at it from the both angles. Is this what you do in debate? Well, let's take it from the other perspective. Let's reverse now this question. Take another look at what Shaul is saying from that angle, a reversed angle. Shaul is saying that the Thessalonians do perceive a great falling away, and they do recognize the man of sin, the son of perdition, then the, yes, you have missed the rapture, being caught up, harpazo. But now let's turn it back around. Shaul is saying that because the man of sin hasn't been revealed and being caught up, harpazo, the rapture has not happened. Why? Because being caught up, harpazo, rapture comes one first. Not because Darby, McDonald, or Schofield or e either Ephraim, the Syrian, invented the doctrine after the fact, but because the doctrine was already well established in the first century by the apostle Rav Shaul. And this is what 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4 says. For the time is coming when people will not have patience for what? Sound doctrine and teaching, but will cater to their passions and gather around themselves teachers who say whatever their ears itch to hear. Yes, they will stop listening to the truth, but will turn aside to follow myths. Continuing. The first reference to the pre-tribulation caught up harpazo comes from the Bible. It's not a cunningly devised fable, but is a doctrine made known by eyewitness of his majesty. Second Kepha, Second Peter 2, uh, 
1.16. For when we made known to you the power of the coming of our Lord Yeshua, the Messiah, we did not rely on cunning, contrived myths, or contrary, on the contrary, we saw his majesty with our own eyes. Who said that? Bekepha was there to, to deny Messiah, and he was reconciled to Messiah. Continuing, this is not scripture, but commentary. It wasn't turned into a cunning, devised fable until after the great apostasy had first kicked off. You know when that started? It started during the time at the end of the 19th century, around the 1800s, with the age of what? Enlightenment. Remember all these people throughout all of Europe? having these spiritual seances because they didn't believe what the word of God was yes and amen, what was also being delivered at that time. Darwin's theory of evolution, more delusion and deception. The great apostasy of part one, and it's pretty much fully developed. As for part two, the revelation of the Antichrist, because what happens during that time? The whole world is deluded, believing that he is the Christ, the Messiah, even Israel, the nation of Israel. So, well, that, that second part looks like its fulfillment is just now around the corner. And according to the apostle Rav Shaul, we don't have to be there for part two. And so what he says to us is this. So encourage one another with these words. And where's that found? First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 18. And what I shared with you earlier from Galatians, if now what I presented to you is not the good news that came from the prophets in the Tanakh and the apostles of the Brit Hadashah, then I am accursed. And anyone who teaches you anything else but God's word that has been laid down by the foundation of the prophets and the apostles, then we are to do what? We are to set it aside. You are to know God's word. You are to know his plans. Undeniable. Search the scriptures for yourselves. Because you have the Ruach, the spirit of the living God, who shall lead you into God's truth. Amen. Shabbat shalom. And thank you for your time. I know it was